we began this series, Live on Purpose, last Sunday, I mentioned that there are obstacles that really need to pay attention to when we think about living on purpose. And I think the greatest obstacle, really for all people, but certainly for those of us who have a relationship with God, are pursuing a relationship with God, I think the greatest obstacle is when our surroundings, right, our circumstances, and the fear that often uh, our circumstances, our surroundings bring in our lives become more decisive than God does. And I mentioned that last week when we looked at this passage, the most well-known of the miracles of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000, when Jesus, you know, kind of pushes back and says to the disciples, you feed them, right? I'm not going to solve this one uh, the way I've solved the other um, challenges that we face together. You feed them. Don't send them away. You feed them. When our circumstances, our surroundings become more important and the fears that uh, often they raise in our hearts become more important than God, then our faith, however real, um, can become ineffective in living on purpose. So that's what I want to talk about this morning in the second uh, message in this passage or in this series. It happens right after the one we looked at last week. Immediately following, give a copy of the Bible. Open up to Matthew chapter 14 or turn it on however you access the scriptures here this morning. Feel free to use the Bibles that are in the seats uh, in front of you. And we'll turn to Matthew 14 verses 22 to 33, right? The miracle that immediately follows the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus and his disciples on the Sea of Galilee in a message titled, The Opportunity of Faith. The Opportunity of Faith. Follow along as I read Matthew 22, or excuse me, 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, the disciples, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said. And cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you out on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, if you were here last week... Uh, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000, right? The only miracle 
that's in all four of the Gospels. It's, a, it's, it's sort of a, 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 on a, a shelf elevated above the other miracles. It stands out. The Gospel writers all felt it was one miracle, the only one that needed to be reported in all of the Gospels. It's sort of, it is a, a shorthand, many would say, the loaves and the fishes. It, it has a certain element of importance. And in some ways, it was perhaps one of the most amazing days that the disciples ever had in their three years with Jesus. I mean, in that day, maybe it was a whole eight, ten hours, thousands of people were healed, right? That happens even before the food. Thousands of people were healed. All day long, Jesus was healing. And then, thousands of people were fed. And in the second of those two miracles that took place over the course of many days. This was what was so unique to it. This is why it was one of the great miracles, or maybe the most greatest reported one in the Gospels. The disciples actually went from being spectators to actually being participants. Jesus blesses the food. He says he gave it to the disciples so far. Not necessarily uh, no miracle. Then over the next, who knows, couple hours where the disciples fanned out in a crowd of people sitting in circles in groups of 50 all across this open field. They helped participate in the miracle of feeding all of these people. Okay, An amazing day. But here's what the disciples um, had yet to learn and they learn in this passage. That the power of God is not accessed on demand, right? That's not how it happens. And they had a long way to go in their faith, in the development of their faith. And I would say that's true for all of us or virtually all of us here today. If we truly want to make a difference in this world, in our short lives, if we want to know what it means to live on So what is this passage, this famous passage also, Jesus walking on water, what does it teach us today? What can it teach us today? The first important thing I think it teaches us is this. In this world, you will have trouble, right? In this world, you will have... Now, most of you, I probably don't need to convince you of that. But I think many people are, are, are skeptical of the Christian faith. Maybe they're not here today because they have this sense that, you know, the Christianity is some kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know sweetener. You know, that it's, 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 it's telling us something out there, maybe in the popular imagination, that if you become a Christian, all your problems are going to go away. But see, that's not what the Bible teaches at all, Right? In this world, you will have trouble. And I think you see that here in the disciples of Jesus. People that, you know, unlike you and I, they're living with Jesus. They're walking with Jesus. They're talking with Jesus. He's in their life. This is a firsthand experience. And in this moment, right, in the first half of this passage, these disciples, the people on this boat, are in serious trouble, right? And they're in serious trouble, if you read the passage carefully, right, Partly because Jesus sent them there. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples, made the disciples get into a boat. And he sends them out to the other side. And when it says, there's a couple details in here. The boat was already considerable distance from the land. Okay? Buffeted by the winds. That that detail's there to tell you something. If you follow this story... It's pretty simple to follow it. Most of the disciples, I said this before, spent most of their time on the north tip of a long lake on the Sea of Galilee. Up there, just on the top. And when it says they went to the other side, all they did, they just simply went from west to east. 
And it would have made sense for them, they did this the opposite direction in, in the previous passage, it would make sense for them just to hug the shore, right? They didn't need to go out into the lake, right? They were just going from one end to the other, and they wanted to hug the shore, but the, the wind was so severe, the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. He's telling us something, and they're in trouble, and these guys were not like you, or I should say, not like you, like me, you know, I, you know I, if I'm on a boat, it's because someone's invited me, right? I don't know an awful lot about it, but these guys were professionals. They did this for a living, but even they apparently were in a situation that was beyond their, you know, their capacity to manage this wind, and they're in trouble, so much trouble the disciples of Jesus, that Jesus, who had a, was, was, you know, was up on a mountainside by himself, he, had some, some, he wanted some private time alone. We saw that last uh, Sunday we, when he, uh, in, in the feeding of the 5,000. He was interrupted then. He wanted some private time alone to pray, but even Jesus leaves his perch from up there on the mountain because these guys are in trouble. And what's so interesting about this passage is that when Jesus shows up, verse 26, things actually don't get better, they get worse. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were so relieved. <laughs> is that what it says? <laughs> they were terrified, right? They were terrified and cried out, it's a ghost, they said, and cried out, and circled this word, in fear. Okay, it's a word used a couple times in this passage. Now, I think this is meant to, to it begs a question, okay, in this world you will have trouble. I think it does, and I hope it does for you, and that is this. Why does, if God is all-powerful, right, and if even if you follow this account in Matthew's gospel, Jesus as the Son of God has performed a number of miracles before, okay? And if God is all-powerful in your life, if God is all-powerful in my life, I mean, I believe that by faith, then God can, certainly has the power to eliminate the storms that are in my life. In fact, in this situation, okay, if you read the book of Matthew carefully, just a handful of chapters earlier, Matthew chapter 8, maybe it was a month or two in the life of the disciples, they're on the same lake. And there is a great storm that happens. I mean, this is, you know, same song, different verse, right? They're there, and they cry out to him, Lord, save us, or we will drown. That's what they said. And Jesus says three simple words, right? The words I want him to say in my life, peace, be still, it's gone. There's your problem solved. Storm mitigated. Peace restored, right? Why doesn't Jesus do that here, right? Instead of ending their trouble, listen carefully, this is the key to the passage. Instead of ending their trouble, he decides to meet them in their trouble. Instead of solving or, or removing the source of their fear, right, which he did earlier, he decides to give them the courage to face their fears, okay? Courage, it is I, don't be afraid, right? Instead of 
You see, this is, this, this is the challenge, I think, for many of us, right? We say, I say, you know, God, I really do want to grow. I want to I know what it means. I want to, you know, I, I want to become all that you've designed me to be, right? But what God, God's purpose for my life, God's purpose for your life is not about, you know, days on the clock. It's not about you all have to put in your time and when you put in your time, God finally says, okay, Patsy, now I'm going to help. Now I'm going to give you what you've been waiting for. It's not about putting in your time. It's just like a parent and a child. God says, listen, I want to create something inside of you, right? I want you to become more like me and to do that, you're going to have to learn what it means to partner with me and to trust me in situations you don't have what it takes, right? When Jesus said to the disciples, you feed them, of course they only had, you know, we only have here five loaves and two fish. Jesus says, I get it's not about what you have. It's about whether or not you can bring it here to me, right? God wants to eventually get to a place and say, listen, I don't want to remove. There will be times when God will remove the source of your fear, where God will calm the storm. He does that. I pray for that. You ought to pray for that. But if you really want to live life on purpose, if you want to grow into the greater purposes God has for your life, you need to learn how to draw courage from him to face your fears, not to uh, avoid your fears or find a way out of your fears. Just a little bit later in this story, right? See, things, in a sense, the, the challenges only become greater as a follower of Jesus. But as they become greater, your strength becomes greater if you learn what it means to trust Jesus, right? Just a little bit later, when Jesus, the night before Jesus is, is, is crucified, the day before, he's arrested. You know this story. And, and he has this, this conversation with his disciples who he spent three years with, testing them, encouraging them, speaking to them. And he says, listen, I, there's so much I could say, right? It's called the farewell discourse, in John's gospel. There's so much I could say, but he goes, you know, you couldn't bear it right now. And it's this great talk about the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to tell you everything there is to say. If I was going to list out what's going to happen in the next 24 hours or in the next 24 days or in the rest of your lives, right? The book of Acts. If I were to tell you all the challenges and the ups and the downs and the, and the things, that would happen, you couldn't bear it. But this is what I want to tell you. John 16. In this world, world, he said, you will have trouble, right? I'm the Lord. I'm your Savior. I'm the, I, I am the Son of God, but I have a something for you to do, and I want you to know right now so you're not discouraged, right? You don't decide when all of a sudden things don't go your way or a storm comes in your life. God doesn't love you. God's not for you. He says, no, in this world, you will have trouble, but then he said this, but take heart. Take heart my friends, because I have overcome the world. And if you learn what it means in the midst of that storm to listen to my words, to allow them to get a hold of your heart and a hold of your mind, you too will overcome the world, right? This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. There's a pastor that I um, really admire and have for, for a long time. And I heard him speak on this passage. And he said, you know, I've been a pastor for almost 40 years, this, this guy. And he said, I have discovered there are four storms that all people experience. And these four storms, he's saying, that, I've, that all people experience, each one of these has the ability to take you out of your depth. And he sees what they are. Bereavement, 
illness, relational betrayal, and financial ruin, right? Bereavement, you lose somebody that you love. A personal illness that takes over your life. Relational betrayal and financial ruin. But as I thought about it this week, I thought, you know, I don't know that every person in this room uh, or most, or every person that I know, if that's true of every person that I know, that, every, that, that all four of these storms, even people that I know that are, you know, uh, in the later stages of their life, have experienced all four of those things. But let me tell you something. None of us get a pass on all four of those. Most of us will experience most of those. Listen, in this world, we will have trouble. And that trouble will either take you out, okay, of God's purpose or his inviting you into greater purpose. It's either going to take you out because you say, God doesn't love me. This is too much. I'm going to give in to my fears. Or it will draw you closer to his words that will give you strength to go forward. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid because I am with you. How is he with you? In the presence of the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christ follower. In his word that you read and pray every day. In the community of others around you. We talked about this in January, right? Spending time with God. Spending time with other believers. This is how God's power and presence come into your life. In this world, you will have trouble. Second thing this passage teaches us. In the midst of trouble, Jesus dares you dares me to believe. Peter, I think, who becomes a model for us in this passage and really in the Gospels, he has a shift in his heart. Okay? Think about the shift that happens in his heart. And it's a shift that I would, I, I pray for in my own life. I've experienced it in my own life, but I, I pray for it more to happen in my life and in yours. In trouble, okay, he hears God's word in the words of Jesus in a way he didn't hear them before. Isn't that interesting? How trouble can actually make us live closer to the message of God, closer to the words of Jesus. Because this, how do I know that? Because here, if you look at at Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 14, these two storms, they're very similar, but Peter acts very differently. The storm happens in chapter 8, and Peter cries out, Lord, save us, we're going to drown, right? That's my instinctive often in trouble too. God, save me, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, get me out of this, turn this volume down, take out this difficulty, this challenge, this, this storm that's in my life, right? But in this passage, what makes it famous Peter does something that's very unusual, very counterintuitive. And I'm sure everyone else in this boat did not expect the answer that Jesus gave. Instead of saying, Lord, end this storm, save us, we're going to drown. He says, okay, the storm's still going on, if you, if you follow the passage. He says, Lord, if this is really you, if you are actually present in the trouble in my life, in the conflict in my life, in the job reversal in my life, in the relational betrayal in my life, in the death of my loved one, whatever the case may be, if you are really present, then I want you to challenge me, command me to come out on the water with you. 
instead of taking me out of my trouble, instead of removing the source of my fear, help me to walk through them. Now, let me say this. I'm not saying that you, or I, that you should not pray in times of trouble, in times of challenge, to ask God to remove the fear in your life, to ask God to solve your problem, to ask for God's help in his miraculous deliverance. I pray for that. You pray for that. Listen, even Jesus prayed for that, right, in the garden. Even Jesus said, I'm in a terrible spot. This is horrible. This is difficult. But, you know, Father, if it's your will, end this thing. Even Jesus prayed for that. But here's the point of this message and really the point of this Life on Purpose series. Often it is God's purpose in your life. It's God's purpose for my life. Or it's what God needs to do in my life so that I can live on purpose. Not to help me out of the source of my fear, but to help me through the source of my fear. In fact, sometimes... God even sends you out on the lake in the middle of the storm, right? Go on ahead of us, Jesus said, to the other side while Jesus dismissed the crowd. I got a knock on my door um, just this week from a woman, uh, Donna uh, Bennett, from our church, went on a mission trip with... um, a handful of other brown crofters to Trinidad um, in, the, in, the, in the Caribbean just, you know, several weeks ago. And she said, Pastor, I really want to tell you a story. You know, we'd been asking some of them that got back to tell us some stories. And I said, great, come on in. She just knocked on my door in the middle of a, a morning. I said, come on in. And she said, you know, while I was there, she said, um, you know, we, we, we all did different things on the ship. Uh, she mentioned some of the things that we did. But she said there was this one day where the, it was called the community service day, where they actually go off the ship and they get assignments to go into the port, right? Somewhere in this little town uh, where, where the boat was docked. And she said, it was exciting. I was glad to do it. I was just there to serve. But she said, my assignment was, you know, they're just handing them out. And mine was, Don, I want you to go to this local high school and I want you to speak to an assembly of high school students and tell them about your faith. Now, She said, Pastor, you don't know me so well, but she said, the events in my life really have crushed my confidence, Um, and they've kept me from, you know, I've always felt judged in my life. I've never felt that people trusted me. I've always felt I didn't measure up and I didn't judge, and one of the things that most gives me great fear is having to speak in front of people and feel like I'm going to say the wrong thing and be judged. So when they gave me this assignment, she said, it brought all of the worst fears that I have to a head. I said, wow, what did you do? It's going to make a great illustration for my sermon. You know, tell me more. (laughs) And she said, you know, I said this. I'm, God has brought me all the way out here. I mean, she could have said no. There was 10 people or however many people on the team and and hundreds of people on this ship. But she said, you know, God brought me all the way here on this trip to Trinidad. And I felt if he brought me here, he must want me to do this. So I said, what'd you do? She said, I just went up home that night. She had, you know, 24-hour notice or less. And she said, I prayed and asked God to 
to, direct, to, 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 to help me over my fear. I prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to give me the words. I prayed and asked God to give me the peace. And she said, I went there the next day. And she said, I can only say that I felt as if God was in my words, that he carried me through this experience in a way that um, I almost has never happened before in my life, right? In trouble, Jesus dares us to believe. Let me ask you a question. That's the key question, the takeaway of this message this morning, right? What would you do differently if you knew your worst fears would not be realized? What would you do differently today? What would I do differently today if you knew your worst fears wouldn't be realized? Think about Peter for a minute here. For a few minutes, or whatever it is, we don't know. It says, these are not my words. Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on water and towards Jesus. Okay? Maybe it was 60 seconds. Maybe it was 10 seconds. Maybe it was five minutes. Who knows? But Peter, for some moments, was walking towards Jesus on the water. I have to believe, knowing where his life goes, that in this experience, he got stronger. Now, Peter failed, he sinks, okay? But Peter's worst fears were not experienced in this passage. Matthew chapter 8 says, Lord, save us lest we drown. Peter didn't drown. Peter didn't die. A little embarrassed maybe. But Jesus just brought him, saved him. Jesus reached out and saved him just like he'll do, reach out and save you, just like he'll reach out and save me, right? Courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. What would you do today, okay, that you're not doing today if you knew your worst fears would not be realized? What would you do different in your work? And you go, well, gee, Rob, uh, what's my work got to do with my faith? Everything. If, there, if there's a day off, it's probably Sunday. You know, you come to get encouraged. Your real faith is met out on Monday in your office, in your classroom, right, in your home, you know, in your neighborhood. What would you do different in your work if you knew your worst fear wouldn't? How about your significant relationships? What kind of risks might you take there that you aren't willing to take if you knew your worst fears would not be realized? How about in your service as a Christian, to get engaged in actually sharing your faith or involved in the ministry of this church? Or, or are you like Donna who said, you know, I spent my whole life, you know, much of my life terrified that people wouldn't accept me or that I'd be judged. But it turned out God's power was available for her. And it would have been five years ago and ten years ago. How about you? How about me? How about the bright idea that maybe you've been sitting on put in a drawer for years that never seen the light of day, what would you do different today? This is the application that you're not doing today if you knew your worst fears would not be realized. Finally, this is the essence of this passage, the, the challenge of to believe in Jesus and the saving power of Jesus. That's what Peter was doing. Right? Lord, save me. And he did. To believe in the saving power of Jesus is to take a risk. Right? Is to take a risk. Life is a test. 
Life is a trust. Life is an adventure. Let me, let me say something that hopefully you, you know this in your life, but by this passage too. Jesus not only knows that trouble is coming in your life. In this world, you will have trouble, right? He's telling you that. So he wants to tell his disciples, he wants, don't think that your life is trouble-free. The days are coming. Oh my goodness, right? When, you know, the eye will not see, the, the, the ear is not heard, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Let me tell you something. Heaven is so unbelievable. Where God is taking us, what it's going to mean to have eternal life and live with God, you don't have the capacity to understand it. Those days are coming, right? But in this world, you will have trouble and difficulty and bereavement and illness and relational betrayal and financial ruin and on and on. God not only knows you'll have trouble, he knows that you will fail in your attempts to walk on water, so to speak. He knows that I will fail. It doesn't um, concern him because the tests of faith are designed to develop a deeper trust. God was going to ask Peter to, believe it or not, to do something, to do things far more amazing than walking on water, as amazing as that was. Right? Think about where Peter goes in Acts chapter 2, right? And on and on, right? God has bigger things for you to do. The tests of faith are designed to develop a deeper trust so that you can get onto a more significant adventure in your life, right? To live on purpose. These words that Jesus says in verse 31 You have little faith. That phrase is used in the scriptures many times, handful of times if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every single time it's used, he's talking to the disciples or Christians. It's not, a, it's not a verse, it's not for unbelievers. Jesus isn't shaming or, you know, it's not, that's not, a, it's not an evangelism verse. Why would non-believers have that? He's saying, he's saying it to his disciples, he's saying it to me. But when he says, oh, Rob, you have little faith. Bob, you have little faith. He's not shaming you. Does it sound like shame? Why did you, you have little faith, why did you doubt? He says that to me. He says that to you when he saves us, when he picks us up, to encourage us to draw on our faith in a more significant way, right? This is what the life of faith is about. This is what it means to live on purpose. You get there one step at a time, but as you begin to get out of the boat in your life, as I begin to get out of the boat in my life and not always look for an escape hatch to my fears, but look for strength to walk in my fears, I get stronger and you get stronger. So here's, the, here's what I want to leave you with, okay? I'm going to pray and we're done. Where is God calling you to take a greater risk with him in your life today. Now, you know I'm not talking about something foolish. Oh, you know, go, I don't know, you know, jump out of some commitment you're in or, or, or blow your money in some foolish way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where is God calling you? Not, you, not your, your foolish appetites or mine. Where is God calling you to take a greater risk with him, Right? In your life today. Right? I mean, it doesn't have to. If you're married and you're having marital problems, I think I can say God wants your marriage to, to, to get better. 
Okay? I think I can say that confidently. So maybe that's an answer for some of us. If God's called you in your work and you have skills and unique gifts in your work, but you're finding it hard, you're, you're, feeling, you're feeling trapped, you're feeling you know, anxious, and God has been saying, listen, it's time to take a step up. Does God care about your careers? Of course he does. He does his greatest work there. Where is God calling you to take a greater risk with him in your life, in your significant relationships, right? Or in the service of the life of this church? Where is God calling you to take a greater risk? I would say the answer to that question, if you don't know it, think about it, pray about it. It's the most important or one of the most important questions as you consider what it means to live on purpose. Let's pray. God and Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here uh, this morning. I thank you for everyone in this room, my, uh, my brothers and sisters, and I just, uh, Lord, thank you for the privilege that we have to walk with you in this life. And I pray you'd open up our hearts and our understandings a little more this morning. Help us, Lord, to, to believe, to, to acknowledge, um, to accept that in this life we'll have trouble. That this life is not trouble-free. No one's life is trouble-free. But, Lord, that you are greater than the trouble in this world. That, Lord, we can take true strength from you, from your word, from your spirit, we can get stronger in our lives to walk in our fears, to walk toward our fears and through them um, because you are our Lord, because you are our Savior, because you are with us. And I just pray for every person here as they think about, Lord, this question, this moment. I pray that you would draw them to a Clarity, draw me to a place of clarity of where I need to take a greater risk with you, uh, Jesus, in my life so I can become uh, more like you and walk uh, closer to a more full embrace of your purposes for my life. In Jesus' name, amen.